HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. And it's raining, and it's uh, radio by young farmers for young farmers about topics of interest to those of us who farm here in America and maybe even some other places. We just had a very exciting thing happen. We had our 16th screening of greenhorns in Australia in the uh, Royal Botanic Garden of Sydney, and it made quite a stink about it, and everyone was happy. And uh, it turns out there's a young farmers movement in Australia also. And they think that we're just way ahead of them. So isn't that nice to, to feel to feel out front for a change? And today uh, I'm talking with Steph, and she's usually out front on most things, all the way in Nebraska. Hi, Steph. Hi, Severn. How's it going out there? What's your spring like? Uh, like a lot of the country, I think it's been pretty warm and not a ton of rain, though... Um, we didn't have a lot of snow either, but um, I think we're getting enough at this point. But everything is early. All the flowers are early. All of the animals are doing things early. So I think it's been like a lot of the country. Well, yeah, we were feeling really early spring and really dry and dusty, and um, people were starting to panic a little bit. And But then vegetable people were happy to get in early and grain people, and then these people were really worried about the dry, and then now it's just been kind of raining for three weeks. Hmm. So I was I was always worried about the idea that you know early flowers you know for the fruit trees mean that you get one frost and suddenly your entire crop is gone. Um, I think that was the right thing to worry about because <laughs> I know that in Michigan we were there for this art gig and they lost 70% of the Montmorency cherries, which is my favorite kind of cherry. Mm. And here in the Hudson Valley, we had also terrible losses in the fruit growers because of that late freeze. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, I talked to a fruit grower this morning, and she said that her best-performing orchards were the ones right along the Hudson River. And because of the 
you know, microclimate of that big riv- river mm-hmm. smoothening out the frost. And so, I don't know what's the point of it on any of this rambling is just, like, it matters where you are in the landscape. It does. Talk to We've your elders. <laughs> at the in Nebraska, we've um, I work at the Center for Rural Affairs, and we've been partnering with the people at the University of Nebraska Lincoln to talk to gardeners about climate change and specifically how to mitigate for some of the drastic weather changes that are predicted in climate change models. Okay, we need to back up a few steps. First of all, nobody, well, not that many people in my Brooklyn-based audience and maybe some more of the uh, farmer, farmer audience knows about the Center for Rural Affairs. And, if, and those who of us don't, we really should because when it comes to beginning farmer issues, Center for Rural Affairs is top dog. So maybe just a little backstory on what y'all do and how long you've been doing it and, and your particular focus. Certainly. So, um, right, so I work for the Center for Rural Affairs. We're a nonprofit organization located in Lyons, Nebraska, which is in northeastern Nebraska. I, we're about 10, 10 or 15 miles as the crow flies from the Missouri River. Um, we've been around since the early 70s. We're actually coming up on our 40th anniversary, and our mission is to really, we work on issues related to strong rural communities. We want social and economic justice for rural people, environmental stewardship, uh, and opportunity for everyone who lives in rural communities. In the past, this has meant that we work on both policy issues associated with rural communities and also some um, direct service work. So we help uh, small businesses get loans and uh, make sure that they have the right business plan or can talk to banks and whatnot. We also talk to farmers about conservation issues, transitioning to organic, linking retiring farmers with new farmers to, you know, kind of transition and operation to the next generation. I work in the policy and organizing program, and so we we really work on a variety of issues. Historically, you know, we've worked on rural development, we've worked on schools, we've worked on farm policy, and these days we've been working quite a lot on renewable energy, uh, especially wind turbines in Nebraska and the Midwest, and healthcare reform started engaging rural people on what they needed in terms of healthcare reform, you know, way before the Affordable Care Act passed. And of course, we're also working on our farm policy programs. This is um, shaping up to be a farm bill year, and so making sure that rural people understand what's going on with the farm bill and what in Congress related to agriculture and rural development. And beginning farmers. So that's a whole bunch of <laughs> and lots of other issues. Um, well, we have we we can only go into certain detail in our time, but sure. um, a couple of ones, if I could ask, and then you can counter suggest. Certainly. That seems fair. Mm-hmm. Oh, am I still on mute? Oh dear. No, I can hear can you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, so, a question that I get been asked a lot lately. Um, We'll get to the farm bill next, but the question I'm being asked a lot lately is, what is the what is the good news, or where should I be looking for hope, or where should I be acting up or stepping 
stepping up with my public comments when it comes to affordable health care as a farm apprentice, as a new farm business owner, and uh, where should we be looking for um, our best inspiration and potential action? Great question. So right now the status of the Affordable Care Act is that and, and the place where all the action is coming is with the um, what are called exchanges or healthcare marketplaces. So the Affordable Care Act includes so many things, many of which are already in place and protecting consumers right now. And the one of the um, one of the provisions um, is for states to set up healthcare marketplaces. It was based on the Massachusetts model of their healthcare exchange. That is a one-stop shop for anybody to compare health insurance plans, figure out which one is going to be best for their business or their family, and be able to compare prices and attributes in language that's easy to understand and identical between insurance carriers. Each state is supposed to set up their own exchange and can decide what traits or attributes that exchange or marketplace would have. And this is a, a source of um, some conflict in some states because, because the Affordable Care Act um, has been a bit controversial. There's some partisanship going on, and so some states don't want to support what they see as Obama's um, health care bill, and so they are trying to not abide by the law. Um, but some states are, and that's great. So these marketplaces will really help individuals who don't get their health insurance from their employers, which includes farmers and you know self-employed rural people, the, the sad thing is that those marketplaces won't be set up until 2014. Now, in order to make sure that everyone can afford health insurance within these marketplaces, the federal government will subsidize anyone's insurance premium if they are below 400% of the poverty line. I can't spout off numbers for different sized families per se, but um, how that works is then the maximum, you know, if you're on the top of that chart, the maximum percentage that you would pay for your health insurance premium is something like 10% of your income. And if your premium is higher than that, then the federal subsidy would kick in and all you would pay is that 10% of your income, which is pretty darn good because I know a lot of people pay much more than that right now. Number one is... If what we need, those of us who are small business, who are agriculture, um, we don't really fall under a lot of the jobs, the kind of jobs way of thinking about the economy, which would infer that you're looking for a company that can actually... Severin, I'm sorry, I can't hear you at all. Oh, no, it's because, it's because of the rain on the roof. Can you hear me better now? Uh, a little bit. Okay, well... I'm going to start over and say it again. Thank you. So there's one website that I feel like might be kind of what you're talking about. It's called the Freelancers Union. Hmm. Is, is, it, is this marketplace basically 
going to be someone on a, on a hotline and then a website that, that lets you compare and contrast the different uh, providers? That's the idea, yes, is that, you know, you'd be just like you can go to, uh, you know, a hardware a, a hardware store online and compare, you know, which cordless drill you want. And, you know, you can lay out what the different specs of that drill and compare different ones. That's the idea with the health insurance marketplace is that you'd be able to easily compare, find the one that fits, that has the characteristics that you want at the price that you want. Um, and, you know, there there are different states that will do it in different ways. Um, if states don't make progress on setting up their own health insurance marketplace, the Affordable Care Act then allows uh, federal health and human services to go into that state and set it up for them. Each state is different in part because each state's Medicaid program is different. Now, Medicaid, of course, is the is the program that helps low-income people get the health care that they need. And in rural places, this is often where um, elderly people get a lot of the help that they need. What Medicare doesn't cover, Medicaid often will fill in the gap. And so each state has a Medicaid different Medicaid program, and um, the exchange will also tell you, or the, sorry, the marketplace will also tell you, oh, your income is, is such that you qualify for Medicaid, so we're just going to enroll you into Medicaid instead of you buying health insurance. So this sounds like very good and something that we want, and so if we were inclined to um, ask as citizens and voice our opinions, what would be the way that we would do that? Honestly, I think that the way to do that is to talk to your state legislators and your governor, find out what they are doing, and also your state's insurance commissioner. Um, find out what they are doing. If some states are moving forward at a fast pace to, you know, make these marketplaces happen. Some states are not doing that. And so you can, um, your state legislature and your governor and your insurance um, commissioner are going to be the places to go to, to see whether your state is moving forward or not. And encouraging your state legislatures, legislators to make sure that it does move forward and that it has consumer input. Um, the point of the exchanges, the point of these marketplaces is to make sure that it's protecting consumers from some of the crazy practices that had been happening in the insurance industry. If there are no consumer representatives on the controlling boards of these marketplaces, then those voices aren't being heard. So that's one, one important aspect of, of these marketplaces is that there's enough consumer input. So if we want to learn more, we can go and check out the Center for Rural Affairs and do our homework. Um, Absolutely. We have to make sure to cover all of our topics. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed lately you guys are talking a lot about is this latest farm bill process. And I thought perhaps it would be great if you could give a little update to those who may be um, out in the field or in the greenhouse what's been going on, all this galley waggery. Certainly. So as 
as many folks know, the Farm Bill is a law that passes every five years that controls a lot of our farm and food system. Um, If they don't pass a farm bill and they don't extend the current farm bill, the law actually reverts to something that was written in the 1940s. So agriculture has changed a lot since then, um, so nobody really wants that to happen. Um, The start of this farm bill process has actually been rather unusual because of the budget problems that Congress was facing and the need to, um, or their desire to cut a lot from the budget. And so that, that, was, that whole process was called the super committee process. And so those, um, there was a proposal from the agriculture committee that, tw- that cut $23 billion from agriculture programs. And so that was kind of the base that proposal that they started with. Um, both the Senate and the House of Representatives have been talking about the Farm Bill in the last few weeks. It's the, their proposals are continuing to be written and finalized as we speak. And um, we expect that sometime in um, sometime this summer that they will be debated by the full House and the full Senate. Now, The interesting thing this time around is that the proposals that are coming out of both the House and the Senate are very, very different from each other. For example, um, the House uh, budget proposal cut over $33 billion from from what was formerly known as the food stamp program um, over the next 10 years. $33 billion is a lot (laughs) out of food stamps. And or SNAP, as it is also called. So the Senate doesn't include anything like that level of cuts to uh, SNAP. I think they um, they might cut something like $4 billion. So they, just in that one example, and there are many more, it's going to be pretty difficult, I think, to come to an agreement among the House of Representatives and the Senate um, because for them to send a bill to the president for him to sign, the bills have to be identical. And they're very, very far apart right now. So um, we're encouraging people to continue to you know, talk to their legislators about, their federal legislators, about what they need uh, in the farm bill, especially farmers, quite frankly. If you live in a state that values agriculture, your legislators really need to hear from you about what's important. Um, the Center for Rural Affairs is, has long had prioritized a number of things. Um, one is that we want farm subsidies to be limited so that it's not um, the very rich, large mega farms who are drawing down all these subsidies, but that it's really targeted to the small and mid-sized producers that need them the most. We also include crop insurance in those payment limits because if, if, for example, one corporation farmed the entire United States, they would get farm or they would get crop insurance subsidies on every single acre. That would be, you know, billions and billions of dollars. 
that's kind of ridiculous. You know, if you want to, if you want your farm to get bigger, that's great. It doesn't need to be getting bigger on the government's dime. We're also prioritizing beginning farmer issues, conservation, and rural development. This is the first farm bill that doesn't have any guaranteed spending for rural development, which is dangerous. Again, when people hear the words rural development, they don't necessarily know what that means, but what it means is um, money for uh, small business loans. What, what, is, what, is, what, what are the parts of rural development? Great question. A lot of the programs in the rural development in rural development include um, making sure that the infrastructure for water and sewer in rural communities is kept up to date. Uh, there are programs to make sure that healthcare facilities are up to date. There are definitely loans and loan guarantees and grants to help small business owners, including farmers. Uh, so those are a couple of, you know, typically rural development refers to things that were, are helping rural communities thrive and be vibrant even if their populations are decreasing because you can be a thriving community and still lose population. Well, and so this, is, this kind of brings up one thing that is not necessarily always known, um, particularly as more and more of us young farmers are coming from uh, urban, suburban, or kind of ex-urban communities, the fact that rural rural communities are only getting like 13% of the population, and yet um, if you look at the military, it's, it's something more like 40% of military service people come from rural communities. So it essentially misses an issue that's brought up a lot by the Summer Veteran Coalition, that... Um, well, we would think that agriculture would be a major and important employer or source of opportunity for um, rural residents. In fact, um, the military is a lot more appealing. Uh, that's something that we might consider wanting to, to turn around if we're serious about recruiting hundreds of thousands of new farmers. Um, I know that that's a little bit controversial of a setup, but can you answer it? Sorry, all I heard was um, that's a bit controversial of a setup, and I missed your question. Oh, no. Oh, I was pushing mute. That was my fault. The question was that um, there's a disproportionate level of enrollment in the armed services in rural areas. Right. When we would really prefer to see um, people seeking out opportunities whatever, not prefer, but we need more farmers and especially strong, ambitious young people. And the fact that people are choosing the military instead of agriculture um, hurts our goal of 100,000 new farmers as set by the USDA. Well, and one of the things that we've been doing at the Center for Rural Affairs is working with veterans who are returning from, especially um, Iraq right now, to make sure that they have the resources that they need to be farmers if they're so interested. We actually recently had someone testify in front of the House Agriculture Committee. Um, he's a beginning farmer from Nebraska, and he's also an Iraq War veteran. And he 
gave a very great case for um, an increase in beginning farmer programs like, you know, the beginning farmer and rancher development program or uh, focusing uh, farm service agency loans on beginners so that we can really transition the next generation of farmers. It's interesting because I think in the past, people who grew up on farms often stayed on farms, and they, you know, took over the family farm when their parents decided to transition out. These days, I think the big growth area with farmers is people who have no farming background as children, didn't grow up on a farm, and are coming back to the farm. And that's a, you know... Whether you're a veteran or not, your challenges of finding access to land, finding access to capital, and having health insurance for your family are some of the greatest challenges. And so um, the Farm Bill can help with quite a number of those challenges. Um, you know, it's you're right that a lot of uh, service members do come from rural communities, and um, a lot of that has to do with the lack of jobs and the persistent poverty in rural communities. So there's nothing wrong with the choice to, you know, serve in the military if that's what you're choosing, but I think a lot of people are choosing that not because they want to, but because that's where they can have a job. And um, definitely... You know, agriculture is a alternative if those hurdles can can be cleared, um, especially on healthcare. So the thing is, like, um, you know, that it's having a job is what is what you need in order to have health insurance, and having a job, but having a job doesn't necessarily mean working for somebody else. It could mean working for yourself, and so ultimately. These, all of these issues in this whole farm bill set of policies is about creating a structure that supports small business growth and new business, new businesses and entrepreneurship. And essentially, that you know, even though it all boils down and starts to feel like a bunch of squawking by people in Washington, that the role of policy is to set a framework that is positive for our kind of goals as a nation. So, um, anyway, sometimes it's hard to keep that in perspective, but mm-hmm. that's, that's what I like to remember sometimes. Absolutely. Well, if you can't hear me again, terrible. Oh, I can hear you so much better. Oh. <laughs> um, Beth, the last thing we want to talk about together, well, you could, you could choose something else, but I had an idea. Okay. Um, what is, how do we make sure to communicate more clearly that this beginning farmer and rancher phenomenon is for real and protect our beginning farmer and rancher program from these terrible cuts? Do you think we need to embarrass Secretary Vilsack? Do we need to create a scandal or do we need to align with Occupy? I mean, what is the best tactic? On one hand, they're saying they support us and they would like to see more beginning farmers. On the other hand, um, this budgetary, this budget pressure is kind of what would seem, from where I sit, to be a pretty uncontroversial program. So I used to work in D.C. And in D.C., uh, there are two ways to get things done. 
One is to have a lot of money behind you and hire lots of lobbyists. And the other is to have a lot of people. And if you can show that you have a powerful constituency behind you that is ready at your word to come and bother their legislators, you get a lot of attention. Obviously, people representing beginning farmers are never going to have millions and millions of dollars to hire lobbyists. So I think the most important thing is to remember that your legislators do listen, and especially they listen when, um, at least in, in Nebraska, they listen when they're not expecting, uh, when you know, for example, when people call from places other than Omaha and Lincoln, which are Nebraska's two largest cities. If they're getting calls from, you know, rural places, they tend to pay attention a little bit more. At least that's, again, true in Nebraska. So people need to remember that contacting legislators is not like voting. You can do it early. You can do it often. And you can do it every day if you want. Um, Building relationships with legislators and telling them repeatedly over and over what you need as a beginning farmer is and grabbing everyone that you can think of to also say that same message is really how we raise the profile and make sure that these important programs for beginning farmers don't get cut. In organizing, I always think about who can get you what you want, you know, and, you know, you mentioned... Secretary Vilsack, I honestly do think that he does want 100,000 beginning farmers, you know, populating rural America. I do believe that. His hands are tied to a certain extent based on what Congress does and what Congress allows him to spend money on and how much money they give him. So I, I believe that the target right now, who can, the people who can give us what we want as beginning farmers are... It's Congress. It's, you know, are the legislators that we send to Washington. And so we need to be organizing ourselves as beginning farmers, of which I'm one, by the way. And I farm part-time uh, in, here in Nebraska, and in addition to my work with the Center for Rural Affairs. So we need to make our voice louder by recruiting more beginning farmers who are interested in making a go of it and, you know, having them contact in a, in a very coordinated way um, our legislators. And, you know, that's, that's a way to really get the attention of people in Washington is to have lots of folks behind you. Well, and it, and it just so happens that today Lindsay from the National Young Farmers Coalition sent out an action alert and if you're listening now and you're not yet a member of the Young Farmers Coalition, um, well, it only takes three clicks of the mouse, and we really encourage you to do so because that is just such a coordinated effort um, on the part of young farmers to track and then show up and coordinate call-ins just like Steph is telling us to do. Hooray! Hooray! Um, okay, well, this is all very good. One last thing, um, Steph, is tell us about the, the balance for you in farming part-time and working, part-time and working full-time as a non-profiteer about 
how that may be a, a lifestyle that somebody who isn't totally thinking that they can quit the office and the high-powered life of advocacy, but they do think about still their, their desire to be grounded in place and working with animals. Is it possible, and what do you say about it? It is possible, um, and I would say start small. You, um, so I own, with my partner, 12 acres in rural Nebraska, and we before we you know bought a single chick or a single sheep we you know kind of sat down with a plan of what we wanted to accomplish did we want to sell things to other people or are we just um growing food for ourselves we decided that yes in fact we did want to sell to other people and so we tried to figure out things that we were both interested in that would take the minimal amount of, you know, input on our end and also things that we can build up slowly over time. So we chose to raise laying hens and meat lambs, and that has been pretty successful for us. We actually don't attend farmer's markets in part because that's a lot of work and I need my weekends to be working on projects on my farm and not, you know, sitting at a market stall. Um, and so there's only so much that we can do and we try to make sure to, um, you know, not have all of our time taken up between our various pursuits. Um I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, start small, have a plan, and make sure that it can grow with you. Um, we do a lot of direct marketing, and that's how most of the things that we sell get sold. Um, we have actually had the advantage, too, of having an online farmer's market called the Nebraska Food Co-op, where we've been selling a lot of our eggs. And that has really worked well for us because whenever we have something extra, we can toss it up on the food co-op, and if somebody buys it, great. If not, well, at least we tried. Uh, and so we sold some garlic that we had extra last year. We sold the year before we had an apple crop that was just bumper. So, you know, we sold some apples on the food co-op. And, um, you know, so if you have a resource so like that by approaching your So by approaching your business holistically and managing for your goal you were able to design a farm business that matches your availability mm-hmm. and you feel happy about it most of the time. We try. Yes, I really I really enjoy um I I enjoy having both aspects of advocacy and farming in my life. Um lambing season was buckets of fun this year. And, of course, the other part is if you are working for a group or a nonprofit or a land trust or um, extension and you're working with other people who are in agriculture or farming themselves, then there might be a little bit more flexibility in landing season. So it's extra incentive to work in farming and then also work at farming. Certainly. What should people do, Steph, if they listen to you and they really like, they're feeling like they've never been more jazzed on policy than they are right now? Yes. What should their next steps be? I always love it when people are jazzed on policy. Well, 
number one, everyone should go to the Center for Rural Affairs website. Um, that is uh, cfra.org and sign up for our newsletter and uh, sign up to get our action alerts. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to do if you have an email address or we will send it to you via paper if that's what you prefer. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough to farm and, you know, keep everything straight with what needs to be going on on your farm. And most people don't also have the time to keep track of what opportunities are going on in Washington. And so if you sign up for our newsletter and sign up for our action alerts, then we tell you when the right time is to, um, to do things. When is, what's the right message to be giving our legislators right now? Or who needs, who's swayable and needs to hear from us right now and on, you know, what's the message to give them? That's something that we try to provide to our grassroots supporters so that they don't have to follow, you know, the nitty-gritty details of what's going on in Congress. We do that for you. So I'd love for people to sign up. Again, that's uh, cfra.org is our website, and it's easy to sign up. Thank you so much, Jess, for being here on the radio with me. And thank you all for joining us. This has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio. We have a lot of events coming up in June, including the Clearwater Festival at Croton-on-Hudson and many screenings and workshops and work songs, sing-alongs. Please do check our website, but don't spend too much time on the Internet. I don't have to tell you that, but, but don't. And um, thank you, Steph. Thank you, Severin. It's been a pleasure. All the best out there. All the best to everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.